I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hi, I'm Dorianne Wheel, and you with Thrive with Dr. D. And what a treat to have my good friend and very, very well-known behaviorist, transformational specialist, author. You see his posters everywhere. Dr. John Demartini has spoken in, I don't know how many countries, John? I've been to 151 countries. In 151 countries. And I think that you've written something like 33 books, am I right? Well, many, many, many. Many, many. (laughs) Um, What I love about having John Demartini with us on this show is that it, he just saves me a fortune of amount of time in research because every question that you really want to know, he has done the research for you. He's read more than 29,000 books. And I think I found it hard to believe initially before I met you that you could possibly remember them. But actually you do. I'm not sure how you do that. Do you kind of filter and internalize the things that are most important to you? Or how do you actually retain all of this knowledge that you bring to bear in your talks and in your seminars? Well, many years ago, I learned a number of things. One, that there's a conscious memory and then there's an unconscious memory. And the conscious memory most people are familiar with because they'll read something and they go, oh, I only remember this consciously. But then there's information that's gone into your eyes that you're not always aware of, but it's in there. And when you really, really have a motive and a purpose for bringing it out, it surfaces. And I learned to trust that. And I I realized that when I really needed the information, when it really was purposeful information, it would come out of nowhere in my brain. Mm. And so I, I trusted that and I allowed a lot of information to go in. I also linked whatever I was reading to what was most important to me. And the more it's linked to what's highest in our value the higher the retention rate. Mm. And then I did what I could to try to disseminate that information as soon as possible. For many years, I would read early in the morning four to seven books, and then the evening present a program on that topic. Mm. And I did that over and over again, year after year like that, day after day. And that allowed me to increase it because the sooner you give out information that you receive in, the higher the retention rate. Mm. Which is fantastic. And I mean, it's really valuable to hear that because what happens is that you have people studying for a particular task, like an exam or something like that. They do it and it's usually the day before, so they write it the next day. And then don't think about it for ages and ages. I learned many years ago also that you're never in front of an audience you're not prepared for I just, I've never found that to be, I mean, I do a lot of talks. I'm constantly in, in front of presentations and, and I find that whatever I'm receptive to and focusing on and reading about, then the comes questions, that it, it comes to me and the questions come and revolve around that. Mm. And I can always say, I don't know. <laughs> and do you? Yes. Oh, if I don't know, do I say, I don't know that. You don't know that. And I that's just don't fine. Know. And I, I always say, if you start with what you know and let what you know grow and stick to what you know and your core competence when you present. That's the the wisest thing I can do. So do you ever get anxious if all of these the, the last time I can remember being anxious, now this is a, this is an irony, because I, I, I have more anxiety not speaking <laughs> than I have speaking. But at one time I was 27 years old, and I'm about, about to... three years ago. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> I'm 65 almost. Yeah. So 27 years old, I just opened up my practice. I'm not even 28, and I've been asked to speak to 65 oil executives, retired oil executives, who've run the major oil companies in Houston, Texas. And I'm supposed to speak on a topic called success. Hmm. I'm just a student. Hmm. And I I, I walked in there and I looked at the audience and there's these guys, 65 to 75. And I thought, 
this is ridiculous. Here I am. I'm just starting my practice and they're, they're going to be, they, they've already been running major companies. Right. How am I going to give them success? Right. And I was a little bit anxious there and I thought, what am I going to say? And everything that I had planned at the last second I tossed and I realized one thing that one of the biggest fears that people have is public speaking. Mm -hmm. So I get up on stage and I said, just a simple language, I said, as long as you're green, you're growing, as soon as you ripen, you rot. And I said, so all of you are very successful, you've achieved greatness, but if you're not growing, you're rotting. So I wouldn't imagine someone like you with your skills and knowledge could be doing that. So I walked out there with a microphone and I've got in front of the person, I said, so what is right now the biggest challenge you're facing? And what is your biggest fear? Because if you're not conquering fear, you're not growing. And everybody froze. And I asked every one of the guys, 65 people, what is their biggest fear and what are they doing about it? Standing ovation, and I never said a word. <laughs> I that, asked questions. <laughs> that is, that's, that's amazing. Actually, you know, one can say, okay, you, got, you let yourself off the hook. But not really, because I think that is the most relevant. You know, well, it's that was true for them. It's absolutely they, true Because they're, they're retired, they, they, they decay. Yeah. And so they could look inside themselves and say, what is my definition of success? Exactly. And have I reached it yet? And then, I don't know if you had time that particular talk, but I know you've had a huge amount of time to think about it and present it. Taking that information, I'm sure you found threads of similarity in what they said. And what did you find with people like that was that what were they still looking for and what 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 was still the growth well, that would constitute success for them? Many of them, without even realizing it, had assumed that they're going to work until they hit a certain age, and then they're going to retire, and then they retired, and then they realize, is this it? Because they bought into the idea that retirement. But I always say there's nothing wrong with the retirement as long as it didn't get in the way of what you're really committed to. And so they realized they went back into doing something because they had to keep themselves busy. And going home, their wives thought, oh, someday you're going to retire and be with me. And within about three weeks, she goes, why don't you go back to work? Yeah, for better or worse, but not for lunch. Yeah, not for lunch. Yeah. And so they had to figure out things to do because they can only go to the golf so often. And they, they, they had to do something that they felt that they were using their mind because they didn't mm-hmm. feel like they were keeping current. It's a real fear that. But I think when people's identity is tied up so much with what they do and with the label that's on the wall and that success is only associated, particularly associated with that and with power and with money and with status, what happens to you when you retire? That's, what else is That's there a big challenge. Yeah. It's a big challenge because a lot of, a lot of them pass. They just pass. They they die mm-hmm. because they don't have a purpose. I, I had a gentleman who was suicidal that had been a pilot for many years, and he says, "I'm now laid off. I don't know who I am. I've been mm-hmm. flying for forty years. I don't know who I am." Mm-hmm. And he was really struggling because he didn't know. He didn't plan an alternative. And he didn't expect to be laid off. So we are talking about the importance of standing out and being the best you can be. Do you have to fit in? I think the title of your talk: "You aren't here to fit in." You are here to stand out. So I guess that that applies with that life stage, but pretty much with everything. When you don't fit into your career group, you know, how do you cope with it? How, I mean, I guess one of the questions that I would want to ask you at first, is there anything wrong with fitting in? I mean, from where I come from, sort of people... Human beings are really wired for connection, and that connection means I have to fit in. I want to be part of the tribe. I want to be part of this community. 
to, in order to do that, starting from a very early age, you never see a teenager in green jeans. It's all about fitting into the group. And that's why people succumb to peer pressure. And as people get older, it gets manifest in different ways. To be able to be authentically different is quite a challenge for a lot of people at any age. And I think what you're saying or implying in that title is, I'm interpreting it, is it's quite a good thing to be able to feel comfortable about stepping out and not being the same and being uniquely you. But is that really necessary for a lot of people? Well, there's an ancient Greek understanding that called, called the law of the one to many. And the one to many is another way of saying the private versus the public or the individual versus the social. It's another different term for it. But it's interesting, if you move into a new town and you don't know anybody, you want to immediately try to find a group of people you can fit into. But then you try, as a result of it, once you're there, to try to stand out and make some sort of distinction. Or if you're single and you're dating many people, you're trying to find that special one. And then when you find the one, you're wondering about the many. And this oscillation between the one and the many is part of human nature. So we have a yearning to want to fit in and stand out mm. at the same time. And But the thing is, is the people who have really made a contribution and transformation in the world were the people that did have the courage to come up with original idea and go against the grain to some degree and get ridiculed, maybe even violently opposed until their new idea became self-evident and a new paradigm was born. And without those individual misfits, if you will, mm. the ones that didn't fit in, we probably would not progress as much. We'd be kind of stagnant in a tradition and convention of an old way. So you need both. You need people that fit in to make it just like you need, can't make everybody a CEO of a company. There has to be people that are workers told what to do. But at the same time, you have to have somebody that's willing to lead and start original ideas to catalyze change and transformation to adapt to a changing world. Mm. And that's what people have as a yearning. But many of them are fitting in, not because they really want to, but because of the fear of rejection mm. and the fear of not being smart enough and the fear that they'll lose money or the fear that they will fail. And there's many fears that keep people from giving their unique contribution and original thinking to people. So if that need to fit in... I'm just remembering, and I can't remember who said it first, was that what other people think of you is none of your business. Now, that's really easier said than done. With accepting the need to really want to be liked. And I guess the challenge of what you're saying, there are people who don't care that much and who want to make their mark and prepare to be more risk takers and a little bit more maverick. And quite often it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't. I think we hear a lot about the ones that did pay off and not so much about, you know, what sometimes the risk and then the devastating loss that might happen afterwards. What about if that those two dichotomies are one and the same person? Because there is that need to be accepted and to be liked and not to be ridiculed and to be on one level. Can you also be at the same time the person who takes the risk, who steps out of line, who is doing really initiating disruptive things in the industry because that seems to be the ideal yes to encompass both well i, I look at it for myself because i have some ideas that don't fit the grain if you will and uh, i figured i will just create my own culture then they i'll fit into my own culture standing out and you can do that but if you look i did make a study and i've been fascinated by those individuals that do make a difference and i'll, I'll use giordano bruno as an example 
Gerald Bruno is a gentleman 419 years ago that was burned at the stake by the powers to be at the time. Primarily religious and political were joined at the time. And he basically said, he studied some of the early ancient Greeks, Aristarchus, Philolaus, Pythagoras, and they believed in a heliocentric system, where Aristotle and Ptolemy believed in a geocentric system, meaning that the earth went around the sun in one belief, and the other one is the sun went around the earth in the other belief. He was daring enough in his research to believe that we lived in an infinite universe with infinite numbers of worlds with infinite beings. And he believed that we went around on earth and the earth went around a bigger system. We went around the earth, but the earth went around the sun, the sun went around a bigger system called the Milky Way. And it was called the big Milky Circle at the time. And at the time, the church was following Aristotle and Ptolemy and said, no, 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 no. And they put him in prison for eight years. And then they eventually burned him at the stake for Mm. being a heretic. 400 years later in Rome, I happened to be there on that day when they honored him as a genius 400 years ahead of his time, because later it was found that what he said was exactly what was true in the universe. So he was first ridiculed, violently opposed, condemned, tortured, and put to death for having the courage to see something that nobody else could see at the Mm -hmm. time. So that was revolutionary. And he's made his mark and now honored as a genius. But there's some people out there that, as you say, go and try to be different, but don't have the substance and the originality to find something that's true. And then they get ridiculed and then they succumb to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Cantor, who is a mathematician who came up with infinite set theory, he found out that there was between zero and one, there's an infinite number of fractions. And in between each fraction, there's an infinite number of fractions between that at infinitum. And he said that within the finite, there exists the infinite. Well, the church at the time did not stand for that. There's the infinite and there's the finite and we're finite. We can't have an infinite inside the finite. So he was condemned till he committed suicide. He couldn't handle it. The rejection was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But today it's mainstream mathematics. So many times people do get ridiculed and opposed and they don't do well with it. But the ones that do, they leave their mark. Mm. So just because you're different, sometimes people confuse standing out as just being a nonconformist. But a nonconformist is actually conforming by being conforming to something that's opposite, which is still conforming. But an original thinker that has the ability to go out and see things that most people can't see and talk in a path that, you know, an unborrowed visionary, a trailblazer, Mm. they're necessary for evolution and growth. But at the same time, it's a daring path. So what about that characteristic with a lot of us, maybe even most of us, being still necessary for our own personal development and reaching the kind of potential? But we hold ourselves back, maybe because of ridicule or the perception of ridicule. No one is literally going to be burnt at the stake now, but this kind of pull to fit in. How do you free us ordinary everyday people to say look you know what there's that idea that you've got there's the thing that keeps bubbling up every now and then and then you want to put a lid on it because other people are saying to you it's ridiculous it'll never happen it's ridiculous how do you inspire them and encourage them to say okay kind of define your dream and then go for it well it's interesting I've noticed something in the last 47 years of doing this, that there's a conservation of of rejection in your life. And if you don't allow others to reject you, you reject you. So it's a matter of who do you want rejecting you? Would you rather have the whole world against you or yourself? 
when you go against yourself, you've, you've already be, you've beaten yourself down. So I realize that if you don't fill your day with high-priority actions that inspire you, it fills up with low-priority distractions that don't. If you don't pick the challenges that inspire you to pursue and fill your day with challenges that inspire you, it fills up with challenges that don't. If you don't pick where you get rejection, you get rejection from areas you don't want. So I, I realize that there's a conservation of rejection in your life. So I'd rather have other people reject me than my own self. I call it the law of lesser pissers, excuse the expression, yeah. because I'd rather have other people pissed at me than myself. Because when I've beaten myself up, I'm not, I'm, I'm defeated. But if I allow other people to do that, then sometimes it catalyzes me to study, to know my material, to research, to learn, to grow, to go digging deeper. And I end up innovating when I'm challenged. And I stop my innovation when I'm fitting in. Sure. So you have to have that kind of belief. I mean, I think that that's interesting, much more powerful and kind of stop in your tracks thing if you reject yourself and you stop before you've even started, which is stronger than the fear of rejection of other people. Yeah, so. I'd rather be rejected by others. Mm. And what I found is when in looking at my own life, uh, when I was in professional school, I did very well in school. And they had a curve in this in the grades and if i got a hundred there was no curve so they didn't want me in there because a lot of people were failing so they got me booted out of the classes which then i got to teach which is even better for me mm. to take me out of the curve system so because there were too many people going to school and then not getting into the passing uh, marks so i got my tires slid i got rejected i got you know a lot of ridicule because i was doing well in school as a result of it those same students that once ridiculed me sometimes are in the classes today. Mm. So 20, 30, 40 years later, ridicule you sometimes become the most supportive. supportive. So yeah. that's why you realize that if you go through ridicule, it's just a stage of life, nothing. And I think what you're saying is it's just a part of it. It's a part of life. It's not really that important. What is much more important is sticking to what you believe and following it anyway. There's still that part of me that says, hmm, it sounds good, but at the time, at the time, it's easier than said, said than done. If you're on your own, you ne everybody needs some sort of support system, don't they? Well, Someone or other who says come on go for it I'll partner you through this imagine human being out in the wild and he's, he's there with a man and a woman and child and he's nomadic and it's not easy to survive out there so if he joins up with another group and they have different specialties and strengths there's a higher probability of survival right. and so eventually people gather together to survive and so a, a survival mentality is guaranteed to not want to be rejected because it's banishment and it's exile and it's you don't make it. Mm -hmm. So we have a natural instinct to fear being rejected. That's that's an animal instinct that we have in there. And a, a herd instinct, you may say, to make sure we do that. But the thing is, is if we don't stand out and we don't, because each individual has a unique set of values and priorities in life. And when they live truly authentically according to what they value most, they are different. Mm -hmm. And if they, they can't be themselves, if they don't allow some challenge by society mm -hmm. to be able to stand out that much, you don't have to go to extreme, but you'd need to be able to handle the challenges in life in order to grow. In fact, maximum growth and development has been proven to be at the border of support and challenge, mm -hmm. not support without challenge. Mm -hmm. I use the analogy of a wild animal. It has prey that it feeds off of, and it has a predator that feeds off it. If it goes and it didn't have any predator at all, there was no predator whatsoever, and it was nothing but an abundance of prey, it would be gluttonous, it would gain weight, Until it would death. basically be sluggish, and it would no longer be fit. But if it knows there's a predator there, it will eat just the right amount to make sure it stays fit to be able to run. 
because and what's interesting if they go and have prey and they, and it eats and eats and eats because it's sluggish and it is out of fitness the predator targets it because it gets more calories with the least mm-hmm. amount of effort. So that means the more you're looking for prey without predator, the more you attract predator to make sure you get it back into balance. It's got a homeostat. So wisdom is embracing support and challenge or people accepting and rejecting. Sure. Both of those are necessary to maximize our growth. So with that, I mean, I'm just thinking of that as a tremendous lesson for parenting. Because you're talking about it in the wild. So what is the role? You know, of the parent in the preparation of the child for this. You have to let them see that they've had that kind of love and support, which engenders a sense of confidence and security on the one hand, and then you have to push them out to have that kind of challenge. Absolutely. You have, you have to have other. enough chaos in the family to make sure they leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And survive. Yes. Otherwise, they won't survive. Yeah. I, I just but also believe in them. I mean, we've got to talk about this. There's always such a lot to talk about, but we've got to talk about the connection with those values and priorities and what's important with you so that you can act on them and get this meaning and purpose in your life. So the first thing is to, how, is discovering them. So you have to engender in the child the the belief that they can find their own you know, you let them burn their fingers, but you have to see that they're not third degree burns. It's that kind of balance in the beginning. There's a protection and the sense of security and the love that gets internalized and translated into I'm good enough. Now go and do it. I think that's what you're saying. And that's the yes. preparation for it. It's finding the balance that now I had a lovely case in the break to experience, which I, I do, which I've done 1080 times. My goodness. And, uh, What's interesting is this lovely lady came up to me. She says, I think I just learned something. And I said, what did you just learn? She says, I think I'm overprotecting my child. Mm. I finally got it. And I said, and, and what made you think it? She says, well, because of the things you said about the support and challenge, you need both. Because the more I'm supportive of him trying to protect him, the more the bullies have been attacking. And I've had to move three schools trying to protect him from bullies. And the bullies I can see now are actually doing the part that I've not been willing to do. And my husband used to play that role, but because I perceived my father being a violent person and my mother this meek mouse, I wanted to be, I thought one was love and the other one wasn't. I now realize that I had a balance of a, a supportive and challenging family, which is what I needed. And I tried to avoid the one and put it on my child. And the universe is bringing in the other with a husband and the bullies. And I realize that I need, and, and the kids are taking me to the edge where I have to learn how to take on and own that part of myself. Mm-hmm. And she says, I really am That's getting it. I need inside. both sides. Mm-hmm. And the universe is giving me this lesson. And I'm actually, the, the bullies are helping my kids and I didn't see it. And now I'm going to be tougher on my children and put a balance of support and challenge into my child, which is love. Can you imagine those bullies getting a letter from the mother? Thank you. You know, saying, dear bully, <laughs> thank you so much for, for reminding me what I should doing, be doing. Doing what I'm not willing to do. <laughs> yeah, and in. what's interesting is that she, she said, I'm getting so frustrated because the child is now dependent because of be, being protective of them, overprotective mm-hmm. and supportive. That I, every time they get a challenge, I'm now running in and protecting them. Yeah. And I moved them from three schools because I thought the teachers were too tough or the bullies were too tough and everything else. And what it was is my own wounds mm. of my own childhood projected onto my child. Mm. And they're there to teach me how to clear my own wounds mm. and to love my own father. Mm. Fantastic. So she had a lot of self-insight, which got translated into how she was going to parent a kid. Yes. In the way forward and to break that cycle. Well, I think we have uh, uh, we have more padding on our butt than we do on our shoulders sometimes. Mm. The reason for it is sometimes we need a good butt kick. Mm, 
we really need both. Really and more both. padding. More padding. I thought you said more padding. No, more padding. 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 Yeah, okay. I'll go. I think, yeah, I think <laughs> that did. was higher design. We need a few we more pads need. on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Not violent, though. No. No, just good, just good gentle, reminders. Gentle, gentle pat yeah, on the gen- butt sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> people want to be loved and appreciated for who they are. And they, I go up to people and I say, you're always nice. You're never mean. Always kind, never cruel. Do you believe me? And they say, no. Do you always, I said, you're always mean. You're never nice. You're always cruel. You're never kind. Do you believe me? No. Sometimes you're kind. Sometimes you're cruel. They believe me. I said, you're both sided. No one, one, there's no one one sided. And you want to be loved for both sides. And you won't allow yourself to be loving both sides if you buy into the idea that you're supposed to be one sided mm-hmm. by society's rules. So you have to be able to honor yourself for both sides. So the first step that you do is have them see that they, I'd say the majority of people are more on the people-pleasing side than on, I want to be the the nasty, unkind, oh, that's what I want to be known for, not really. Maybe a few, you know. In fact, you know, it's been with these, these shooters and the incidents that have been going on all the way. I think that a dynamic of that is this need, I will be noticed, I will get my one minute and you will never ever forget me and that need to be seen like that that's not the only thing obviously it's fueled by all sorts of assumptions and crazy things about other people who don't fit in well you know it's interesting is is there's a a message that many people don't realize that whatever the collective society represses selective society expresses so i ask people and this is very shocking to some people and I got this from Nietzsche, Nietzsche, that if a whole bunch of people have a fantasy about something, but they don't live that fantasy, other people do. The other few people will go out and express the very thing that people fantasize about, but repress themselves from doing. And what we do is we realize that our society is made up of the, the heroes and the villains, but the villains play an important role in the society because they're outletting all the repressions that people are living. Are you saying that it would be important for the villains to have an outlet for that? It's, so it's, that it's they essential. Don't, they don't act on out on it. That, you know, I think the movie Invictus was a great yeah. message for people. Because what I was saying, he said, here we're having civil war and conflict. And he said, instead of making it a civil war where there's chaos, let's create a war in rugby. An organized war uh, in, de- decreases the probability of a disorganized war. And so they knew that they needed to have conflict in the world, and, and the peace and war had to be balanced. But at the same time, you can organize that. In a, that's why if you don't fill your day with challenges and inspire it fills up with challenges you don't. And that's distressful. And challenges that inspire you are you stressful, and they build wellness. Sure. So going back to this becoming your authentic self and having the courage to not fit in, it starts with who you are. And you have... Uh, a very strong, strong ideas of how you find out who you are in the first place. And that's where it's got to start. Well, you need to find out what your life spontaneously is committed to doing. You know, I had a lovely lady in the program that I said, she said, I don't know what, what I'm really committed to. I don't know. I'm really confused. I said, what does your life demonstrate that you spontaneously do every single day that you love doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. She kept saying, I said, no, go back. Quit lying to yourself. Go to the look in your life. What do you do every day that you're spontaneously do that you love doing? And she says, I love learning about human behavior. I guess that's why I'm at your program. And I said, but what do you do? She said, I'm a pharmacist. I said, do you spend many, many of your times, many minutes out of the day, even though you're dispensing drugs? Are you actually working with clients and educating them and helping them decrease the probability of having to depend on the drugs? She says, 
God, you just nailed me. Mm. I said, you have not figured out how to get paid for doing what you love to do. And so you've found a more efficient way to get your money. But the real truth is you love educating people and, and guiding them in personal development. She goes, a doorbell just went on. I said, if you had a way of getting paid to do that, you would be doing that in a second. She started crying. She had tears in her eyes. She says, that's what I really want to do. I said, you know your mission inside, but you haven't found a strategy on how to express it economically. So you're doing something else and you're doing this. You're feeding the personal development inside your work without even realizing it. She goes, I spend 20 minutes with a client who's just coming for a pickup a a pharmaceutical and they will and, and I'm going to sit there and I. educate them on personal development mm-hmm. the entire 20 minutes. And she goes, that's what I'm really doing. I said, you're getting you because you haven't found a strategy to make the money doing that, which there is one. If we sat down and thought it, you're doing it the most efficient way you can do. And she goes, you yeah. answered a mystery in my life. Yeah. I just made sense now. Hmm. Okay. So she kind of unconsciously, if you like, found a way of an outlet for what she's good at what she loves and doing. what she loves doing. And in fact, when you do that, it's usually there's, there's some kind of response, either sort of from the universe or from what you, and in this case, from people. So the, the person is also, you know, really responding and buying into that as well, which is, is wonderful. So what I'm going back to is that this fitting in or standing out doesn't have to be huge or maverick or disruptive necessarily. It might be if you've got a kind of way out crazy idea that perhaps hasn't been started and what gives you the courage and the confidence to be able to do it, but not necessarily. We can all do it by finding our purpose and our mission and meaning every day instead of just going along with them. That is also standing up. We can also find out, we can also do a very simple exercise that really makes a difference. Because many people have Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days, thank God it's Fridays, week yeah. friggin' ends, and they're living for break to break and holiday to holiday and the, to, the, to New Year's to get out. And what they do is they're not seeing how what they're doing on a daily basis is bringing meaning and fulfillment. But asking questions, because a quarter of our life is based on quite the questions ask. If we ask a simple question, how is the job duty that I'm doing, that I'm not planning on leaving, but what is the job duty I'm doing? How is it fulfilling what is truly most meaningful to me? If your children are most important, how is that job helping you with your children? If you ask those questions and not say it doesn't, but look at how it does, you can start seeing life on the way, not in the way. And you can ask yourself to have your unique expression, even though you're fitting into the job and you're doing what people are asking, you're able to see that it's truly unique and meaningful to you. And you get a nice blend of fitting in and standing out. Mm. Sure, that's wonderful. I want to ask you something. Ever made, because I picked up a little pack the other day at Exclusive Books. Do you remember, it it still is quite a famous author, Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages. So there were this pack of cards that was lying there at the till with some of his kind of central tenets of saying, as you're talking, you know, you've got, they're not just slick one-liners. What you're talking about is informed by so much that underscores it and stories that underscore it and years and years of experience. I know you've written so many books. Have you captured those kind of important tenets and sayings that you come out with that need to be thought about? You know, with Hay House, they did uh, about, I think, 10 or 12 books of mine. And we were considering putting out a little card deck, inspirational card deck. And we didn't end up doing it, but I have thousands of those. I mean, we have them Mm -hmm. right now. It's on our our daily Facebook 
presentations. We have them every day. So there's probably 25,000 of those now. Mm-hmm. There are probably that many. So I could easily package them. I just I think it would be great. I'd be your first customer. Yeah. And market them for you. Because, people, you know, people, they are... When you stop and think about them, they're real truisms. And I think, you know, not even, it might be 25,000, but if you say pick up 50 and you think about each one and how that applies to your life, that's tremendous, tremendous. And I did put a book out in 1983 called 2,000 Quotes to the Wise, A Day-by-Day Guide to Inspirational Living. And there's 2,000 of them in that one. Mm. And what I did is I took the most inspirational um quotations that I could think of meditating on the most affirmative words in human language and put together a book on that. Mm. And I published, and I think I sold about maybe 60,000 of those, Mm. but in 1983, and I just Mm. never did republish it again. Mm. Some of my books are, probably 20 of my books I don't sell today. So if we just had to go through five of those that you have said today, that you would want people to think about in terms of the balance between having your needs met for belonging and maybe being part of a community and a tribe because there are those needs and also having the courage and the drive to look at what is important to you and to be able to have the, the, the risk, to take the risk, to follow that authentically. You said some really important things today. Could you encapsulate those. <laughs> Sorry, I can. I want to hear what you have to say. I well, listen to you. I, I, yeah. I'd like to share this, that if somebody supports you and you hear nothing but praise, it is sometimes difficult not to get puffed up and get a, and exaggerate yourself and start to get pride, which is an exaggeration of self. And then if you have criticism and all you see is criticism, it's very easy to get into a shame system and minimize yourself. But if you see that there's a balance of the two, you get back into authenticity, the center of yourself. And I I say that whether I'm supported or challenged, whether things are easy or difficult, I'm grateful for I know that they're both synchronously balanced to keep me on track with who I really am. So a statement like that is a checkup from the neck up. If you start to say that no matter what happens in my life, it's always a positive thing, you, you get delusional. But if you can see that both of them are synchronously playing in a role and mm-hmm. keeping you authentic, then you realize that the only time I've ever been criticized is when I'm puffed up and I'm, I'm proud and I'm projecting my values. And the only time I get really supportive is when I'm down. I walk in a room sometime and I play this game with people. I walk in and I pick somebody in the, in the audience. And I said, imagine you praising me. And, and I'm walking in. You say, oh, Dr. Martini, you're amazing. And you're this and you're that and everything else. And imagine if I went and I humbled myself below where you put me. You would keep lifting me up. Mm-hmm. But if I walked in and I go... And you, and you said, oh, Dr. DiMartini, you're this and that. Mm. And I go, oh, you have no idea. I'm so magnificent. <laughs> you have no idea. I'm greater than you can even imagine. Yeah. You're not capable of seeing how great I am. Yeah. You let me turn around and cut me down and yeah. criticize because I'm now above what you think. So anytime you go in and meet somebody and you perce- you're perceived as above what they believe, they're designed to bring you down, to bring you back into equilibrium as part of equity theory. And the second you're below it, they try to lift you up. So some people use that as a strategy. They put themselves down just to make sure they get praise. And some people automatically like the challenge because they like to stand out. So we use it unconsciously as strategies to get where we want to go. Mm. Sometimes I think, I mean, I, I know that I've said to people, 
maybe at the end of a program, like an intensive program that's been quite emotional, we do a feedback session amongst people and we say things like, um, what enhances my energy to you? What decreases my energy to you? If I could give you a gift. And of course, not a material gift. You know, what would it be if I and, you know, those kind of feedback things. And sometimes I've often heard people say, my wish for you is that you could see yourself like the way other people see you. I guess that doesn't imply with the negative <laughs> or positive. I it's, mean, a subtle way. it's a subtle way. Usually it implies the positive. It's often for people who do tend to bring themselves down enough, but I guess that a lot, but I guess it could be the other, the other way around. I, I love Socrates on this statement by Socrates. Uh, there was a, a merchant in the city, and he approached Socrates in Plato's writing in the dialogue. And he went to, the, to Socrates and said, Socrates, I'm disappointed in you. You're supposedly a wise man, but you teach such abstract, non-grounded things that that today people need to know how to be able to survive and make a living and pay for their family and different this. And you teach them abstract things on mathematics and things like that. And he says, how, how, why do you do such things? And this is so silly. And Socrates says, you are so wise. I'm so foolish. If you ever see me doing this again, please feel that I'm unworthy of further comment. You deserve not to even waste your time on such comments yeah. to me. In other words, yeah, you know, exactly. and it, and it was quite in interesting. Words, right, was, I get it. Leave he, me was, he was, he was so letting him know that don't so bug clever. me. So clever. You don't understand what I'm trying to accomplish. So clever. So clever. <laughs> Look, I think that there's a huge amount of information, as always, in what you say. I want to ask you, um, just as a closing, all of this is about kind of feeling fulfilled, being the best that you can, being authentic. And kind of living that authenticity for fulfillment, finding your purpose, acting on your values and so on. All of that, if you had to encapsulate that and to say, and then you'll be or then you'll feel successful. What's the definition of success for you? Well, I don't use the term success. I think success success and failure are feedback mechanisms to get you back into authenticity. Because the second you think you're successful, there's a bit of a pride, and you tend to go off on low-priority things. And the second you go down into failure, you tend to get into shame, you tend to go back to high-priority things. But when you're actually in the center, you don't think of yourself as success or failure. But it's real. You, th- you feel yourself as a, just a, an individual on a mission of service and reward. And so I don't, I'm a little leery about the term success, and I don't usually promote that because I've seen the cycle that the second people see the success, they usually fall from because of pride. I like to think of a, of a person on a mission to be of service to people because I, in my experience, and I ask thousands of people, one of the most meaningful, fulfilling things in their, in their life is when they feel that they make a contribution mm-hmm. to other people's life and they get fairly exchanged for it. That means that they're not narcissists, they're not altruists, they put the two together, and they're being authentic. Mm. Authenticist. Mm. Authenticist, I love that. John Demartini, thank you so much. Dr. John Demartini, remember, you aren't here to fit in. You are here to stand out. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a jackpot podcast.